I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, our bi-weekly podcast where we are visiting one of our all-time favorite book series, The Babysitter's Club. We are grown-ass women who grew up with these awesome-ass girls, and uh, we decided we wanted to go back and revisit, and we've been having the very best time doing that. And even better has been watching the rest of the world get on board with our love for the Babysitter's Club. So we are extra special excited today because we are up to our next super special, California Girls, uh, and it delivered on the promise that Kate promised in our last <laughs> predictions. But being that it is a super special, that means we have a super special guest. And today, we are so excited to bring on my very special cousin, Dr. Lynn Scarf Hunter, who is here today. <laughs> Yay! 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 So Lynn, as I mentioned, is my cousin, and she is a book-reading badass. She has her PhD, at hence the doctor, and more importantly, she is right now a YA librarian. So we have a literal expert in the topic we are discussing today. Very excited to have her. So thank you. Well, Welcome, Lynn. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, we're very excited you're here, too. And I guess, so obviously... Your job is YA literature, but how did you, like, what's your background with the Babysitter's Club specifically? Like, do kids still ask you about it all the time? Did you read it as a kid? Like, what what's the story? Yeah, both of those things happen. Um, <laughs> so um, <laughs> my experience right now with the, you know, as a, as a librarian, um, the, uh, the print books don't go out as often uh, in our, my, you know, in our library. Um, you know, for a little while, for a long while, you know, you couldn't get them really from, the book vendors that we buy from mm-hmm. that you know there's mm-hmm. you know certain book vendors that libraries buy from so they just didn't exist they had gone out of print and then the uh, graphic novels kind of brought everything back you know to everybody's attention again and so yeah. we can't keep the graphic novels on the shelf I mean we just mm-hmm. they they get a, you know read hard loved hard we have to repl- like we were replacing them constantly we just cannot oh. keep them on the shelves and my um I have four kids and three of them are uh, middle school and younger now. Um, and so they, they have all three, two, two are boys, but have an almost 12 year old boy and a set of boy girl twins who are um, 10. And they, they have all three read every available graphic novel. <laughs> they, we watch the show. They love it. Um, I have almost convinced uh-huh. one of the boys to read the print novel. You know, it's just, they like the stories, yeah. but also if there's an option for a graphic novel, most often right. kids will just use the graphic novel. But so it, it, we had a big sort of babysitters. Everybody's crazy for the babysitters going to my house <laughs> for the last couple <laughs> of years, too, which is really great. And I was pretty excited, too, because I didn't have to even sell it as like, you know, it's not just for girls. You know, like my, yeah, my boys mm-hmm. were just like, oh, cool, because we, you know, they we have lots of baby cousins and so they, they, they're not, they are interested in the idea of being babysitters themselves. And so Mm -hmm. it was not, I was just, I was pleasantly surprised at how even my kids were, my boys were like, Whoa, this is fantastic. (laughs) Um, But as far as my own background in it uh, with the babysitters club, I, um, I think I I spent when I was reading this book, you know, um, this uh, super special uh, book preparing for this, I had this hilarious text conversation with my dad about like, I think, that we lived in this particular house, which would make me about this age. And so I think I was in, <laughs> I think I, it was like the summer after fifth grade kind of age. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I very specifically remember, it, you know, it was the summer and I was reading about 
I remember reading the first one and being like, oh, you know, Christy's parents are divorced and I had divorced parents and I lived with my dad. Um, my dad had custody of us, which was really unusual in the 80s. I'm I'm uh-huh. not a 30 something lady. I'm a or I'm a, you know, 40 something grown ass woman. But um, so I, I had not only the divorced parents thing, but plenty of people were having, you know, their parents get divorced when I was a kid, but um, not to live with their dad. And so divorced kid stories made meant something to me very you know, in particular, I was, I was always looking sort of kind of for validation in that experience. And I was the oldest. So I was always a babysitter. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I really felt <laughs> like I related. <laughs> you know? And I, so I remember reading at least up through the first Stacey book. And we'll, we can get into that later. I got feelings. Yeah. But <laughs> so I read them. And then I think I just kind of, because I was sort of at the top end of the age range, you know, um, and then I, I sort of aged out, but, um, it has been super delightful to go see that kind of explosion in the library again with Mm -hmm. interest and then to go through it with my own kids. So. Oh, I know it's so much fun. I'm loving that there are so many new generations of baby service club fans. Mm -hmm. Like it's so cool. And I love that it's reaching boys too. That's exactly what I was going to (laughs) say. That even in the library, (laughs) even in the library, I'm handing the books to boys as often as I am to girls. And that and they're not just mine that I like, you know, I'm conv- like influencing or whatever. Like they're asking, <laughs> yeah. boys are asking for it too. And that's really, I, I get them to just read all of the print books. I'd be really feeling like I won. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I'm curious. Well, Kate and I are big fans of the graphic novels, but I actually haven't had time to sit down and read too many of them. So we often, that as we're reading through, are wondering like how much they've updated and changed um, and how much they've kept. Because even between like her actual print copies and my like electronic copies, there have been some, you know, edits around technology and stuff. So how are they doing that in the graphic novels overall? How are they handling that? To be honest, I don't know. I could, if, before we're done with this, I can pull one of the children. <laughs> <laughs> because I haven't read yeah. the graphic novels. So I, I don't know. Um, honestly, we can't keep it in the library. So <laughs> I'm keeping it from a kid. <laughs> That's exactly, I I keep going to the library to check them out and they're never there. So I just, well, I'm so glad to know it's because that kids are using them and not just that they're not being stocked. So that's good to hear. Oh, oh, I love a library. It just makes me so happy. Yeah. Yeah. When you definitely have the job that I would have if I was not an attorney. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Like the the job that I would totally have if I were capable of having it. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, there are days like the last the last week we've had the entire third grade public school summer school classes, so that we had like thirty classes of third graders come mm. through. And uh, on Tuesday, I did like thirteen thousand steps on Tuesday. <laughs> wow! So, oh, yeah. I was like beat up this week. This week was, was crazy. And it's the summer. And so it's, it's wild during the summer, but it is a job where I get to, I get to do all of the things I loved when I was an academic or in school myself without having to do all of the grading and evaluation of other people's mm. work or my own, really. I mean, I, I don't have to write about it and like worry about my ideas being good enough or competitive enough. I just get to think, oh, this is good for these reasons. And this kid needs this book. And, you know, it's, it's, there's it's something really magical about putting the right book or the right resource into the right kids' hands. You know, it's, it makes you feel like the best matchmaker in the world. You know? <laughs> oh, that's so cool. And I imagine getting out of the politics and like backstabbing of the academic world was probably really heartening as well. Yeah, I just decided one day I woke up and I thought, you know what? I don't care if you don't like the book. 
I don't really care if you have a good argument about it or not. I don't care anymore. And I feel like I can say to a kid, you know what? You didn't like that book. I have a thousand more. Let's go oh. find one that you do like. It's good to be able to help break some of those um, like strongly held sort of um, beliefs about I have to finish every book I encounter. You know, yeah. and then they get stuck and they don't want to read anymore yeah. and then they start hating reading. And so I can just say, look, I, I don't care if you don't finish it. Like, yeah. <laughs> let me give you another one. <laughs> Not everything is for everybody. Not exactly. for you. Great. Look how many other amazing stories there are. I love that. Yeah. I help. Like, I'm hoping that these early interventions are going to gonna you know lead to adults who just say oh this one's not for me moving on instead of adults that that think they don't read so right. oh, I love that and I really I think it's so cool that it, there is I, I think it really speaks to a shift in just how parents are approaching things in general that there are so many more boys interested and willing to to read girl protagonists because I remember that was a huge conversation back when Harry Potter was coming out that it was oh this is getting boys to read because they won't read if it's a girl lead and that was true for a long time and so it's so wonderful to hear that go figure the kids that grew up without that representation and uh, you know are wanting better for their kids are are helping change some of those stigmas. Oh, mm -hmm. Hope for the future. That's a nice feeling right now. Could really use it. Yeah. <laughs> Take that joy where we can find it. <laughs> yes. Again, that's like well, a total another reason why like, I decided to be a librarian because there is so much joy in what I do and being able to be part of, you know, kids' lives in a way that is part of the, where their imagination is you know, stimulated and where they're thinking about their own futures and um, sort of all of the imaginative works that goes in that you do that you participate in with with a book, you know, you, you, this co creation moment that happens. And so to it's just really joyful to watch and have them come in and tell me what they thought about a book and what they, how they thought, well, they never knew they, that could be a possibility for them. And it just, yeah, all of that helps, oh. helps as an antidote to some of the hopelessness that is yeah. So prevalent. Oh, I, now I just want to come sit in your library for a little while and like <laughs> watch the kids. Oh, that's not creepy at all. <laughs> don't mind. Don't mind that lone adult woman staring, smiling at your children in the corner. A kid is the yeah. price of admission in my library, <laughs> in my department. You have to. Yeah. Lone, lone adults is weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bar borrow a child for the afternoon so you can go in the children's section. Which is a, an even creepier statement. Excuse me, may I borrow a child so I can sit and enjoy the children at the library? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe let's not do that. Yeah, <laughs> Or at least not I, talk like, about it in that way. I was like, this is being recorded and, and I broadcast out. Like, if, if there's ever... <laughs> you're, you're, you're hanging out with your little cousins is what you are doing. There we go. Yeah. Exactly. There, That's go. Exa oh, there we go. Much better framing. Love it. Well, speaking of joyful, I have to say I was pretty joyful reading this book. I enjoyed the hell out of this one. Um, did everybody else have a good time reading it? it live up to expectations? Yes. Well, as you noted, this was one of the ones that I've read a million times and had memorized. So it was nice to like revisit it <laughs> and be like, oh, right, this yeah. one. And I think it, I was sort of hoping there would be more things where I was like, oh, I forgot about this or, you know, like little surprises. And there were none. I still enjoyed the hell out of it, but it was like, oh yeah, no, this is exactly beat for beat what I remember. No, no twists, no surprises, no like subplot that like 
I forgot about or that snuck past me. Like, nope, it's exactly what I remember it. And it brings me as much joy as it did back when I was a kid. (laughs) There was so much of it that came back to me as I was reading it. It was one of those that just like every time it felt like I was remembering things like a page or two before it happened, Mm. where I kept being like, oh, yeah, yeah, now I know where this. Oh, yeah, now, now I remember where this is going. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. Had you read this one before, Lynn? I had not. This was this was post my exit. So yeah, but I did want to say though, I got sort of tickled when I saw that this was going to be the uh, book that I was going to read. I um, grew up in Tennessee. I have, we moved here when I was one, but I was born in California. And as a kid, I'd be like, I'm not really from here. I'm from California. I'm from California. <laughs> so, so we have our very own California girl on. <laughs> So that was, I was immediately cracking up when I got the title. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And you know what, Mallory? Lynn doesn't even have blonde hair. She has blue hair. So go figure. <laughs> oh, Mallory, that 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 plot line for many reasons made me cringe so hard, but in the best possible yes. way. So as had usual, started to get out of ourselves, but I caught it early. So let's actually do what we're supposed to do and start by (laughs) telling you what we're talking about and uh, giving you some context before we just start babbling. So today we are talking about super special number five, California Girls. And this was released in December 1990. Actually, Anne M. Martin is our writer. And I'm sure we'll get to talk about that, especially because we have seen quite a bit more of the slang pop up through this one. Uh, Lynn, that, that is relatively new. That has just started showing up in the last couple of books, and they're they're going hard on it. Yeah. And it, you could, especially when Anne, um, when it's not one of the ghostwriters, Anne's really, I, I think she's trying to leave her stamp before she, uh, before <laughs> she heads out the door. So anyway, for our back of the book description. Who would believe it? The babysitters have won the lottery. And with their winning money, the girls are all going with Dawn to California. What adventures they'll have. Jesse lands a tiny part in a TV show. Christy gets into a kind of fight with Dawn's We Heart Kids Club. And Stacy turns into a surfer girl. And in between all that excitement, they still have time for babysitting, sightseeing, and the beach. How can they go back to Stony Brook now that they've all turned into California girls? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, but it, honestly, it captures the tone, if not, like, the plot at all. Right. It gets, it very much gets the, like, the cheesy goodness of of the tone of the whole of the whole book. I think that that's the thing that worked best for me overall, is that th- that tone was so right. Because mm-hmm. that's what we've talked about with some of the other ones. It gets a little... The super specials, it can get a little wonky. Yeah. Where they... Because they have to babysit? Well, or they, like, oversell the super special part. Like, in the one... (laughs) In the last one, they, like, literally were washed up on a desert island for multiple days. And, like, life and death. (laughs) Exactly. So this is far better, like, tone and, and, um, and, and level of... I mean, there was still some life and death stakes, but in a realistic way... Right rather than a Gilligan's Island type of way. And so. I think this one did a better job of, like, everybody's storyline sort of matches. Because, like, with the yes. the island adventure one, like, there was life and death for Don and Claudia. But then, you know, back on the mainland, it was, like, you know, Stacy fighting with her dad in New York. And it was, like, yeah, the, the vibe was sort of, like, all over the place. And this one it was, like, there's some drama, but it's all, like you said, realistic. No one's 
no one's really going to die. Like, there's no, there's no children getting lost at sea, anything, you know, dire like that. So it helped, it helped to be just like, okay, we're on vacation. It's great. Uh, Yeah. And actually, look at this. That's a perfect segue. And for for you to even tell us what actually (laughs) happens before we get carried away. Oh, it's amazing. I feel like every like 10th book, we actually like, do right. the do the setup the right way, quote unquote right way. Okay. So as usual, because it's a super special, um, I'm gonna be talking for a little while. <laughs> so get ready. <laughs> okay. So the overarching plot. Apparently Claudia has been buying lottery tickets via her dad, quote, practically forever. But once the jackpot hits 23 million, the girls all decide they should all buy lottery tickets and split the winnings if any of them win. They have a sleepover at Don and Marianne's house to watch the drawing, and Don gets five of six numbers, which gets them their own jackpot of $10,000, or $1,428.57 each. They decide to use it on the two weeks off from school next month, whenever that is, to stay with Don's dad in California. So they go and have lots of individualized adventures, as is typical for super specials. So, Christy, in a bid to show she's the best babysitter ever, Christy takes a job babysitting for two boys named Eric and Ryan when the members of the We Love Kids Club talk about how bad they are to sit for. It ends up being the day that the whole group is planning to go to Universal Studios, so Christy decides to bring them along to babysit them there, with their parents' sign-off, of course, because she's the best babysitter ever. Eric and Ryan act like the rambunctious and wild kids that they are and get into some trouble making a mess in the bathroom at Universal Studios and whining about not being chosen to be Elliot in E.T. before getting scared by the earthquake special effects due to having lived through real ones in California. Christy ends up realizing the girls in the We Love Kids Club are actually good sitters and knew what they were talking about and that she's not the only babysitting expert. Claudia. Claudia spots a guy on the beach who is the most gorgeous guy she's ever seen and ends up inviting him to join them for lunch at Carol's suggestion. The boy is named Terry and loves school and reading, and while Claudia is not feeling that or him, she's def- he's definitely feeling her. Stacy gives him Don's phone number, which I'm sure we will talk about, mm-hmm. when she sees him at the beach so he can call Claudia, which he does, to invite her on a lunch date, after which they see an Italian art film with subtitles. She decides to pretend to be smart to feel like she's good enough for him before they go on a second date to dinner at a fancy French restaurant, where Claudia inadvertently orders escargot because she can't read the menu and the waiter speaks French. It's a disaster, and she cries on the way back to Don's house. Claudia calls Janine for smart person tips, but gets the best advice she could need instead, that she should just be herself, which she does on a day in Hollywood. They have a great day that ends with a kiss and one last date where they have a great time. Stacy. Stacy takes a surfing lesson on their first trip to the beach after Carol tells her she should give it a shot. She's immediately hooked, and Dawn introduces her to some kids she remembers from school who are devoted surfers, and Stacy spends several days over the trip hanging out with them and surfing with them. They're older and drive way too fast and pretty poorly in convertibles with no mention of seatbelts. On a day late in the trip, Stacy and her new friends are driving like idiots and get into a pretty terrifying-sounding accident on the highway where we finally learn that Stacy was, in fact, wearing a seatbelt. The driver wants them all to lie and say it was the other driver's fault, but Stacy tells the truth to the police. She calls Don's house to get picked up from the hospital and was relieved when it's Carol that picks up the phone because she thinks she'll never have to tell Don's dad or her parents. She's sorely mistaken, but understands why that's the case. Marianne. Marianne gets very into learning about everything about L.A. from pamphlets she got from a travel agent, just like she did when they visited New York City. But the big plot for her is that she babysits for a girl named Steffi, who has asthma and whose mother died when she was very young. She's also very shy and has to deal with a very strict father, so Marianne sees a lot of herself in Steffi, and they make a great connection. Although Marianne does spend most of her time together concerned about triggering an asthma attack. She does invite Steffi to Universal Studios with the whole group after Christy adds Eric and Ryan, where she continues to unnecessarily freak out about 
potential asthma attacks. Everything's fine, though, until her last sitting job for Steffi when she finally does have an asthma attack after getting emotional about Marianne going home. Everything ends up fine, and they decide to be pen pals to stay connected. Dawn. Dawn hates Carol. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, she does. That's really the whole plot. That, that's her plot. Dawn hates Carol, the end. Dawn hates, Dawn hates Carol. So with a little bit more color about that, she thinks Carol's too young for her dad, but also too old to try to befriend the girls. She thinks she's trying too hard and gives bad advice, among many other concerns, but finally comes around on her when she sees how Carol reacts to Stacy's accident and comes to respect her when she acts more like a parent in that situation. She has a heart-to-heart with her dad and lets him know she would be okay with it It would be okay with her if they got married. She also writes a nice letter to Carol, which she initially plans to mail after she gets home so she doesn't have to talk to Carol about it, but she ultimately (laughs) gives her the letter before they leave. They end the book on good terms. Dawn also asks Jeff to give Carol a chance. Jesse. Jesse spends the day early in the trip on the set of Derek Masters' TV show. She watches them rehearse and sees how a studio, including special effects work, and she ends up volunteering when the show needs extras for a scene and is the final one chosen to participate, which is super fun and gets her hit with the acting bug again for a hot second before again deciding she's a dancer, not an actor, on her second visit to the set. Jesse is generally not pleased with Mallory's choices or with having to cover for Mallory's lack of money to spend on activities, as you're about to hear, but they make up before the visit to Derek's set. And Mallory. Oh, Mallory. So, Mallory is inspired at the beach to turn herself into a classic California girl, including putting some, quote, washout blonde dye on her hair. Oh, just, and, I can't even. It doesn't work spending, that way. <laughs> like, maybe Anne has never dyed her hair, but you can't go from red to blonde and have it wash out. I, I mean, I guess she does learn that lesson by the end of the book. But yeah. Okay. So she spends basically all of her, all of her lottery winnings. Seriously, she has $6.28 left after her makeover shopping spree on tons of makeup, which she piles on inexpertly because she's not allowed to wear makeup at home in an attempt to look the part and get noticed both at Universal Studios and when she goes with Jesse to visit Derek on set later in the trip. Mallory is devastated when she isn't chosen to be an extra during her visit because the director thinks her quote looks aren't quite right and spends the next few days moping until Christy and the rest of the girls snap her out of it and get her back to the old Mallory, including dyeing her hair back to red and Stacy and Claudia buying all her makeup to pay Jesse back. Whew. That was a lot of talking. <laughs> it's a vacation to California. The end. <laughs> yeah. The, there's no, like, big idea tying everything together. There's no... I mean, there's kind of the Danny Tanner moment between, I guess, Dawn and Carol is probably right. the closest thing we really get. Um, and in fact, that's, that's honestly my biggest complaint about the Christie plot line is that it just doesn't have a resolution like Dawn later like in the wrap up is like and I think Christie learned her lesson <laughs> about and I'm like did she was there apology was there humbling like no there was no she was like even in her chapter it's like I was trying not to think about the fact that they had warned me and I'm like oh she didn't learn a damn thing what are you talking about so like there was much less of that, but somehow I didn't mind and I didn't even notice until I like sat down to mm-hmm. like think about what we were going to talk about today because there's so much happening in every plot and there's so much that like to, to pack into with each of them that I'm like, I don't need, we didn't need a big, you know, come together moment. They all had their, honestly, some of these like plot lines would have been a great book in and of mm-hmm. themselves. Mary Ann's whole plot line I thought was great. Yeah. I thought that would have been a great book. Um, I was um, I was almost a little sad that it it, it was contained to this one, but mm-hmm. I think it worked really well. Like it, I didn't feel over rushed or overstuffed. That was definitely my favorite, other aside from the Mallory's. But uh, 
the rest of them, I have I have concerns, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to, to, like, one thing that you just said, like, and I think we've talked about this in other super specials, like, sometimes it feels like there's too many narrators, you know, like, especially mm-hmm. as we get into these ones where it's like, it's all the girls. Because the, the first couple, they were like, you know, Logan was a narrator for one, and, like, you know, one of the triplets was a narrator in one. So, like, I think some, this maybe is one, another one where it, the overarching book would have benefited from fewer narrator characters so that you would get more mm-hmm. chapters with each of them. So, like, yeah, if we got, like, six chapters of Marianne instead of three, it would be maybe a little bit better of an overarching story. And I get, like, wanting each girl to be, to have their own plot, but, like, the Dawn and Carol stuff, like we said, because there's that's such a good storyline mm-hmm. to have but because it's stuffed like this it does wind up just being Don hates carol right. and <laughs> and then the jesse plot line that we literally had uh, lynn i don't know if you were aware but there was an earlier book that had this literal exact plot line where jesse it was the super brat episode that they made the um tv show of uh, that was sort of the this one this version of it but it was the same exact plot line literally she got on set they're like, you could be an actress. And then she realizes she loves dance. If we had cut all of that, right. we could have uh, put that real estate towards one of the other plot lines that, like I said, a lot of them, my notes are good idea, good intention, poor execution, or major problems <laughs> with other aspects of it um, in the in the Claudia case. You know, the... Um, the uh, Christy plot line, when you, you were like, I don't think she learned her lesson. I, we With less... Christy narration and more like say Marianne narrating that for her, we might actually believe Christy did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? But Christy showed us herself with right. her narration that she didn't. So yeah, yeah. I mean, she made like, it abundantly clear she learned nothing. <laughs> so if that was the lesson that we were supposed to also learn that, you know, yeah. Anne Martin wanted us to learn, then maybe if Marianne had, had more narration time, for instance, um, we could believe yeah. that. <laughs> or or have like Something happened. I, like, I was expecting one of the twins, to, or like, they're not twins, but one of the little brats that she's watching to, like, go running off. And mm-hmm. she has to have a real moment of humbling herself, of being like, oh, I screwed up. But of course not. She doesn't screw up. She's still perfect Christy. Like, the worst thing that she lets happen is that they're a little bit late coming back from the bathroom and there's some spit wads on the, on the ceiling. Like those were going to be there no matter what there's shithead kids everywhere so <laughs> right if it wasn't eric and ryan it was other shitty kids exactly it, it wasn't like they broke anything major or like ran off and then she had to like admit that she couldn't handle it like she had to admit nothing there right. was well and especially because they sort of like i don't know if punished is the wrong word but like when they got scared on the the backlot tour when it was the earthquake like and then that's when they turned into good kids it's like so Christy had literally nothing to do with it, you know, like they, they, you know, learned their lesson to be good because they got scared by something that is a realistic threat for people who live in California. It's like, oh, good job, Christy. You, you really, yeah. you, you did a great job, you know, helping these kids continue to be terrified by earthquakes. Great. Good job. Yeah. They weren't so much good as in a trauma response. Right. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, they, they stopped misbehaving because they were terrified. Good job. Yeah. Congratulations. They... And then Christy's patting herself on her back. Look what a great babysitter I am. As she's like rocking traumatized children. Look, they're quiet. <laughs> no one's breaking anything now. Hey. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Check me out now, Sunny. Or whatever the. 
Like the the level of condescension she has at that club meeting is just it is beyond. Like Christy's always uh, she can be problematic. Well, problematic's the wrong word. She can be a bit much. She can be a pill. She can def- she definitely has her moments and they're usually like tied to something emotional though and they're usually pretty quickly called out and or are like the crux of what she's like learning the lesson on this level of unquestioned vitriol that she's like spitting at these poor girls is wild it is weird why are you why is your babysitter club in a different state like far 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 away suddenly why are you competing you're not like sharing yeah, the, the market f- like in the early, there, like in one of the earlier <laughs> books, right? Wasn't there like a competing? Oh, yeah. 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 It's like yes. you're not like overlapping markets or anything. You're fully different and like fully on the other side of the, the country from each other. And my note is bless Christie's weird competitive heart. Like I don't understand <laughs> why this is where she's like, yeah, I'm going to really, we're, like we're so much better. We're going to dominate you like <laughs> we're gonna take all of your babysitting clients like, right. we're on vacation yeah. sunny and the rest of them didn't do any babysitting that those entire two weeks the other thing is like christy was both like annoyed that they had a babysitting club but then also annoyed that they didn't do it exactly the way that the babysitters club did it's like she's just angry that they exist i guess and it's like i guess if you're gonna have a copycat it needs to be an exact replica it has to be run the exact same way you have to have the same meeting times you have to have a set location you have to have the notebook and blah 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 like christy you can't like she wants it both ways she doesn't want them to do it and then she also wants them to be exactly like her and only exactly like her like it makes no sense. I mean, it's it's Christy. She she gets weirdly like focused on certain things, so it, it makes sense. But it's also just like, which which do you want? No babysitters club or a a copycat? Oh, I was thinking. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, what would make Christy happy in this moment? Because you're right. Like nothing. She she didn't want it both ways. So I was like, she wants to be like the corporate franchiser and and they're them to be like franchisees that she basically gets to control like she wants them to answer the phone and be like thank you for calling the babysitters club copyright christy thomas how can i help you today president and, like, and founder, and founder yes. we're we would not exist without her honored presence like a fully like cult level devotion that she is demanding and these girls could not, I, I love them. They could not be bothered in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> well, they're California girls. That's that's just how yeah. they are. Because <laughs> California girls Nobody are Nobody even consulted so, me, right? Like, <laughs> uh, so, I know. So I, I know since you said you had dropped off pretty early, Lynn, uh, Kate probably dropped off next, and then I was a little bit longer than that. But even still, we all had dropped off well before the books did. The books had kept going for quite a bit afterwards. But right about when I was dropping off, so it would have been late 90s, maybe 95, 96, somewhere at, at, around that time, uh, they started doing a series of California diaries that were of Dawn's friends, uh, like their point of view books, but they were like the more like grown up. They got to be the, like they got to grow up a little bit in the ways that the babysitters couldn't because they got stuck in this perpetual eighth grade hellscape loop. <laughs> Of all the grades, right? Uh, Yes. Just all the grades. Just forever and ever. Yeah, it's very Simpsons. Uh, Just time. But but everything else continues to move on. So there's like 17 different Halloween dances in their eighth grade year. Like, Stacey moves away and comes back within their eighth grade year. One round of it. And somehow they have time to win a lottery. 
the, and spend exactly. it and go on several vacations. <laughs> so, and I, it was funny you said unspecified two weeks. It came out in December and typically they time the, the like breaks around when the books come out. So they were, they very studiously didn't say anything about Christmas because it would take one second for them to be like, wait, so you're all just packing up and going to stay with Mr. Schaefer for Christmas and like, <laughs> piecing out on your families okay um so yeah like there, there there's a lot of just like hand waving like it's it's an unspecified it's just, two-week winter it's just a couple weeks break don't worry about it unspecified two-week winter holiday don't don't right. read into that, that doesn't involve christmas or, or any, any other type holidays. of holiday yeah oh god she the some of that stuff is just like it makes christy really hard to love as a character which is such a wild choice for your main protagonist. Like, I, I get, I, I love the fact that she's not perfect. I love the fact that she's prickly. That was one of the things that drew me most to, to Christy because, as I've said many times, I relate to her. And in fact, I related to her in some not so fun ways in this one. <laughs> um, I get the weirdly competitive thing. But like, I wanted, it, knowing that those, like, recognizing those ugly parts of me as a kid, I wanted to read about how she got better, about how, you know, you had those ugly things, but it was okay. Is you could you could rise above. You could make amends when you did shitty stuff. You could learn that the lesson and 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 become a better person. And this, what's the lesson here? Like, <laughs> you are better. That's the point of children's <laughs> literature and and YA literature in general is to to let you experience um, imaginatively what it is like to go through a situation where you might struggle or where you might be in danger, or where, um, you know, you, you wouldn't know what to do, or, or, you know, any, any number of scenarios, and then you imaginatively practice it. It's like drills, right? Like fire drills or whatever. Yeah. You know where to go, because you've, mm-hmm. you've done it, right? And these right, books, right. they put us in, they put kids in these positions, like, so maybe your parents are still married, but, um, and happily, but if they were to get divorced, what would that look like? And how would mm-hmm. you, how, what are the possibilities for your, like, you know, experience for that? And you walk through that with these characters. And it is on some level you doing it, you know, in, in your own brain, right? In your own experience. So mm-hmm. um, when, when and if these things happen to you, whether they're good things or bad things, you know, you'll know what to do, which is, I think, the only redeeming, like, quality to Stacey's stupid story is yeah. that oh I'm so I have so many feelings about Stacey and her story. Yeah. <laughs> but is that is that there that was a kind of a, a peer pressure situation. It was a boy crazy because you boy crazy Stacey. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was a boy crazy situation. It was and it did go pretty awry, right? And so in ways that, you know, I can imagine a, a kid reading this would would sort of be preparing for, right? What happens yeah. when I'm in a car? What happens when I'm with people who aren't driving safely? What happens and what would I do, right? So yeah. we can watch this play out and there is sort of a lesson at the end of it, right? This is a really clearly kind of a uh, delineated one. But yeah, Christy's story, like you don't go through, like going to a place where something that looks sort of like yours is very, very, but it's running differently, right? Like it's a big mm-hmm. club, but it's running very differently. There are kids, but they're different than the kids that you're used to. There are environments that, you know, like we would take kids, but they're not the same kinds of kid-friendly environments that you would take the ones that you usually, Mm -hmm. you know, babysit to. And so instead of like giving us the opportunity to think, well, what if I were a babysitter in a different place? And what if I had this kind of, you know, what happens is that we just kind of see Christy do it and not solve anything or resolve anything Mm -hmm. or tap into like a reason for her, her, 
you know, reactions and her choices. Like I know that we did in earlier books, uh, you know, from when I read them, yeah. but um, so it's, it is a, a wasted opportunity and like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on a stage in which you would typically do that kind of imaginative work. Right. So anyway. And I, no, I, I think that's really a good point because the thing with Christy is, and the way you were saying that really ties into what, something that Kate and I have noted on the, the the ones that we have felt have been less effective. And it's when the girls are presented almost as superhuman for their age, for their, like, there's, there's being a step up of a role model, which is great. But then there's like all of the books where these girls are like lecturing grown ass adults about how they're parenting their kids. And like, and we're like, you are a child. You should be learning the lesson, not teaching the lesson to an adult. And that's what this feels like with Christie's is that Christy doesn't need to learn anything because she's the best babysitter. (laughs) Yeah. But it's not even that I, that she learned a lesson earlier in the book and now gets to practice it with an adult. Like that kind of thing is like, would be really effective, right? Like, I'm in this situation and I don't know what's going on and I experience it and I learn this lesson. And then I see a grown up who has obviously not had this experience that I have had. And I can be, you know, like, uh, you know, confident in my knowledge because I have this really practical experience that I can explain to the grown up, which would be like amazing to see as a kid, right? Like you'd be like, look yeah. at that. They're not just being like, I weirdly am a, you know, 35 year old adult inside of this eighth grade girl's body, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which just like, comes out sometimes. Which, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what? That actually reminds me of the, uh, from the show, the episode, Marianne's first episode in the first season, where she does, she learns about, you know, her, her trans charge and then is able to relate that to, to the adults. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, too. And that's why it was so powerful. My kids loved that episode. I loved that episode too. But for my me kids, too. it was a really excellent example of, I had this experience that or, you know, a child has this experience that this adult has no concept of, right? And and I understand in a way that I can translate from this very, very small person's, very, very small child's experience to a, this a grown-up's experience. I can be this sort of translator or transmitter mm-hmm. of the experience in a way mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. that is effective and mature, but it is not, I'm a 35-year-old person in this age. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, <laughs> That was my biggest problem with the Dawn plot line, because like I said, I think it's a really good plot line, but in execution, it really felt more like wish fulfillment from a parent perspective mm-hmm. of how a child would think and act and respond. And like, I, it started off well with her like being frustrated with her wanting to fit in, like get, that makes sense, getting that. But the resolution of her being like, oh, now that she acts like a mother, I respect her. What 13-year-old kid is going to, I mean, maybe that that would... I, I fully believe that that would be the reaction, but subconsciously and not in a way that they would articulate, I respect that you held me accountable for my actions and that shows me that you're responsible enough to marry my dad and be my step-parent. <laughs> like, what? No! Right. That, you know, there's all that, you know, children, you know, all the psychological research or whatever, children need mm-hmm. boundaries and they need to know that that part of what, what the <clears throat> adolescent experience, the growth experience is pushing those boundaries to find out where you know, not just for themselves where safety is and where it's not, but where, where you as the adult in their life end and where they begin and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. But to suddenly have a kid be like, mm, well, you were uh, finally acting parental. And now I really appreciate your presence in my life because I know I can trust you to be parental. Like what? I mean, what? Yeah. Oh, and the thing that pissed me off most about that entire storyline is we're intersected with Claudia's where 
Carol was very clearly going to give Claudia the advice, don't change yourself. She was trying to say, sometimes when people change themselves to be in a relationship, and Dawn cuts her off every fucking time, and then there's no resolution to that. They never come back. She even ends it with like, yeah, she gave some shitty advice about boys, but when the push came to shove, it was about being a grown-up, and I'm like, she didn't. You didn't let her tell her anything. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, there, oh yeah, I really felt like the... This and maybe this is the way that the super specials work uh, because when you said uh, you know I, uh, you said this was out in 1990 and I started high school in 1990 so um, the, it, <laughs> that's old I am yeah and so um, uh, this was way you know I was way way off the the track here but um, it makes me wonder if the, the super special experience uh, is it typically um, a uh, more Super, superficial experience or do they often do they do they more often learn the let like these deep life lessons or is it just like we're on vacation vacation things almost all of them have been vacation except for the last one which it was like a long weekend yeah. but the the big thing was that they got shipwrecked <laughs> during a sailing <laughs> trip so that one was a little bit unusual i feel like that one maybe had a few more lessons in it mm-hmm. but yeah for the most part Survival. it's like, okay. like <laughs> well yeah actually like one literally of the lessons yeah is like, claudia is she holds herself together better on the island than don does and so she gets to learn like and i guess they both learn like people are strong in different ways you know don was able to take care of a sick kid and Claudia had to like figure out how to get water and you know she was like smart in a different way and so like I think that felt like we learned more lessons here it's uh, yeah it's like don't hate your dad's girlfriend and and don't hate that we hate we and love kids club good. except that Christy doesn't learn that so <laughs> it's because like what we talked about it's good that that they're not trying to shove too much in because when they do it gets overstuffed because it is such a little little right. time you just sort of get snapshots but we, it does get frustrating, I think for me, especially in this one, because there's so much good stuff here, so much stuff that I would love to unpack more deeply. Like, even, like, leaving aside the the racism in Claudia's storyline, a lot of that stuff about, like, who you are, being who you are for a boy, I love the idea of Claudia, like, falling for a nerdy boy, you know, and, and how that brought together with Janine. And Kate, I was, like, thinking of you as we were reading it, because we often lament the sort of sitcom nature of their relationship that it's like every time, every book with Janine, it's like two steps forward and then it's back to, ugh, Janine sucks. So it was so exciting for me to see her like reach out to Janine and get real advice and have, you know, like a real sisterly moment. Mm -hmm. But I wish that like that one and the Dawn thing and and even the Christy one, if there were more space for any of them, we could get it into it. But I think the super specials are are much more superficial just because they're supposed to be wee fun we won the lottery and like mm-hmm. they're they're all the books are kind of ridiculous in terms of believability but they they are like way up there is that a, a, is that left over from a, like the previous episode or pre- episode previous book did they they just came nope. out of nowhere that they won the lottery yep well and there's never even there's never even been a mention you know claudia says like or don in her initial narration says like claudia's been playing the lottery practically forever and it's like we have never heard of anyone in the entire series till now, Claudia or otherwise, parents included, like playing the lottery. Like this is the first mention of the lottery, but yeah, Claudia has yeah. been playing the lottery forever. Well, I wondered because I just was like, oh, they must have been playing the lottery forever. And I thought perhaps it was attached to nope. a previous narration. Um, and also because of that, like I'm like, okay, $10,000. I mean, whatever, you know, it's not a lot for each kid. But how in the world does Mallory only have $6.28 after spending 
all that money on. I'm like, I'm like, what did you buy? I don't understand. Right. Like, everybody else has all of this money still. They, I mean, well, the plane tickets or whatever. And $6.28 is all you have left? I couldn't believe it. I just didn't understand. I'm bad at math. But really. Oh, no, no. That makeup counting woman had like dollar signs yeah. in her eyes. The second Mallory walked up, she sold her every unnecessary cosmetics thing. I could not uh, imagine as a grown person who likes makeup. Right. Well, even even like $500. I don't even know how I would spend $500 on makeup. I mean, I'm sure I could do it, but like, yeah, for her to only have $6 left, it was like, how? How? <laughs> like, I could I guess I could have understood more like if she had gone to a salon and like had her hair professionally dyed, like and cut and styled and like, and if she had bought new clothes too, like if it had been like a full full makeover and not just like buy some washout boxed hair dye and go to the makeup counter at like the department store. Cause it's not even like she was at like a fancy makeup store, you know, she was just at the department store, like, you know, the clinic or whatever aisle and, you know, getting the <laughs> like free makeup or makeover. But like, yeah, I just, I don't understand. And plus it was 1990. So like things didn't cost as much as they do That's what now. I was, I was like, I'm, I mean, like I remember paying like less than a dollar for gas in high school. You know? mm-hmm. So like, what did she buy? Right. <laughs> did she buy things made of gold? Like I don't understand. <laughs> uh, it was banana. And then all the rest of the girls buying it from her. Sweet. But also doesn't solve the problem. We still have all this no. makeup made of gold. Right. And now it's just yeah. spread out among everybody else. Like, And also, there's no way that Claudia and Stacey have anywhere remotely the same coloring that Mallory does. So, like... Yes. So, that... And I guess that's the other thing. It's, like, did Mallory just buy, like, one of everything? So, she has colors that don't work on her at all. And so, it's, like, okay. So, like, okay, split them up between Claudia and Stacey. Like, presumably, they don't necessarily wear, like, the same colors of makeup, you know, foundation, eyeshadow, whatever. Like, they have different coloring, different complexions. So, like, maybe. But, like, why why did Mallory have things that would work on herself and both of them? And both of them. And, and again, like I said, there's just, like, they're still carrying all that makeup home in their bags. Yeah. That's still a luggage, a piece of luggage in itself, apparently. Right. right. <laughs> well, and that means if they bought it from Mallory. So, let's just say they're, they had, like, $1,000 after plane tickets. That's probably higher than they would have had. But, like... That means that they each gave Mallory like five hundred dollars. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so Mallory now has like a thousand dollars because her paying Jesse back is not going to be all of that money. So it's like, oh no, she does. She says, "I still owe Jesse a little." Oh, like after right. after after she buys the makeup back, she says, "I was able to pay Jesse back, right. but I still owe. I only owe her a little now." How much did she spend? I mean, I maybe. Maybe they paid a, a discounted rate for her <laughs> makeup because it was used. They were like, we'll give you 50%. But if if Jessie was paying for – how did Jessie have enough money for herself and Mallory if Mallory had to give all of her money to Jessie? <laughs> like, the ma- the math of this, like, does not work. I don't – I want to see, like, a, a breakdown in budgeting, like, ins and outs, like, <laughs> ledger book. I want to see – I want to see the spreadsheet. Let me I need understand. <laughs> I need an itemized expense report, excuse me. Seriously, though, but economic realities in this world just do not exist. And oh, by the way, 
The last book was poor Mallory. Literally, she was worried that her family <laughs> was going to be right. homeless and she was going to have to like sell things on like sell her hair on the street and now she's spending $1500 on fucking makeup, Max Factor makeup. Like you buy that shit at the grocery store. Max Factor. Like, oh my Max god, I Factor. forgot. Oh yes. my god. Oh. <laughs> so ridiculous. What the hell? <laughs> oh my god. And she, wait, she was allowed to spend that money and go on this trip when her family was worried they were going like, to lose their house? <laughs> well, by the end of the book, that kind of her dad resolved. got a new job, so everything was fine. But she literally just had that situation. like Yeah, like residual trauma. Right, exactly. Like, she would have been like, I don't know if I should go on this vacation. I should save this money for college or whatever. Or at the very least, be stingy about her, like, making very good decisions about right. her um like souvenirs because oh I only have this much money I want to make sure I come home with with some money but no the consistency carryover from plot to plot doesn't really happen a lot so that was my other question like as we move through as you move through the so there aren't previous lottery mentions there isn't necessarily a consistency of behavior like you you don't you're not necessarily recalling all the lessons from previous book although the super specials in particular are they are like sort of their own universe. I mean, they're not, really but like they really just feel like dropped in. Like some of the, like the regular books, like we've come to find there's like some consistency. Like obviously the mm-hmm. Janine stuff is a little bit annoying because it is always like a step back, but there's some consistency and they reference back to stuff. And like in the super specials, they maybe reference back to stuff, but it's more just like it's vacation. We're doing this mm-hmm. th- this completely other thing. We don't care what just came before. So, like, poor Mallory going into this book. They, I don't think they had any, you know, Scholastic and yeah. Martin, whoever. Like, they were just like, it's time for another super special. Where are they going now? Yeah. California. Great. Let's do this. And the thing is, with the super specials, too, it, you mentioned, like, never playing the lottery before. That's pretty common in the super specials as well. Like, in the last one, all of a sudden, everybody sailed. Right. Never heard about that before, but everybody did it. Um, when they went to the winter vacation one, apparently Claudia is a champion skier. I listened to oh, your my. episode on the winter special one. And so I wondered yeah. about that. I was like, well, they do live in New England. So no, perhaps I mean, there's this whole sense. skiing backstory that I missed. <laughs> I don't know. You would think so, but no. <laughs> None of them are unplausible we've just never heard of any of it before it's like on a sitcom when somebody's randomly like oh by the way i have a sibling uh, they're gonna come in for one episode you were never gonna talk about them again and then they're they're never gonna see them again it's very that way uh, with the super specials so can we talk about stacy i'm ready i'm yes. ready to gossip about stacy <laughs> let's talk about stacy we've all got feelings <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be the stacy we have to have an intervention so I tried really hard when I was reading this to not be like, I'm a parent now, not a kid reading this. Like I tried really, really diligently to put myself into the position of a kid who was not quite yet old enough to be in these, this circumstance, you know, mm-hmm. but if they are perpetually eighth graders, yep. why was Stacy chasing after some 16 and 17 year olds in a way that like ended up with her in their car? Why were no parents concerned ever? Ever. Like, I, as an eighth grader who was at the beach one summer for a week and was, like, like, it, like afar, in love with some obviously older boys from afar, like, the idea that I would have even been, like, I never, myself, would have, they're strangers, I don't know them, I wouldn't have gotten in, like, just self-preservation, like, would have kicked in enough for me not to get into a car at a beach with boys I don't know. Like, I, right? 
where is any of that? Like, even aside from the fact that there are no parents around, why didn't Stacy ever think, I don't know them. Right. Like, right. I shouldn't get into a car with them. Anything could happen to me. And like, aside from car wrecks, other stuff can happen to you, right. Stacy. <laughs> I feel like she had like one half second of like pause when Bo came to pick her up instead of the other guy. But even then it was like, oh, well, it's fine. Like, my other friends are in the car. It's fine. Yeah. I Like, that was one of the things. I have distinct memories of reading this as a kid. And at the time, as a child, being like, what are you doing? Like, why? Why are you doing this? Like, I can understand wanting to, like, learn how to surf. I mean, I wouldn't want to learn how to surf. But, like, I can understand that being like, I'm going to go try that. I'm having a great time. And maybe, like, make some friends at the beach while you're doing that. But, like, I'm just going to ditch my friends and go to the beach with these randos that drive poorly and... I, uh, it wasn't yeah. even like I will meet you guys tomorrow at the beach shack. Right. When I exactly. get a ride to the beach with my friends and then we can hang out and surf or whatever. I'm going to like you're gonna pick me up at a house I don't live at. <laughs> and why are these sixteen and seventeen year olds hanging out with a thirteen year old? Why are they picking up a thirteen year old? I, that would sketch me out as a right. parent. Right. If I was responsible for other people's children. You would not be getting into a car with some teenagers no. that I do not know. Yeah. And Mr. Schaefer's just like, who are those kids? And Don's like, oh, that's so-and-so's son. Like, I went to school with him. It's fine. And he's like, you're right. That is fine. They literally said a name and a child. He did not recognize him. That could have right. been anybody. They could have given any name. I, I, it is just baffling. So I did, though, like, really sit down and give this a lot of thought. And I'm like, okay, what are they? What do I think they might have been trying to go here for? Because I, I usually they usually have good intentions. And you, we can usually sort of see where what they're trying to do other than with the Christie thing. But I think there is something there around the thrill seeking and the fact that she has diabetes and like not feeling in control of her body and we've seen over the last number of books there the the one like through line that has been happening is seeing her um, knowing that her insulin or her diabetes is not really under control and she's kind of in denial about it we're coming up to um Stacy's emergency and that's a great story. If that's what they were going for here, that was way too subtle. <laughs> and that's way too nuanced for a kid to really understand if you, that if you are not going to spell that out pretty explicitly. I am taking unnecessary risks because I want to feel in control of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I'm getting that as a grown-ass adult after reflection. Like, the kids aren't going to get that. It's just a bad example right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And she didn't learn anything until, like, she's in the hospital, right? And she didn't even learn. And she didn't even really learn anything. Right. Yeah. It was like, she, she, like, learned that she made the right choice in not lying to the police. (laughs) Like. And wearing the seatbelt. And wearing his, right. Finally. Baseline expectations. Don't lie. Wear a (laughs) seatbelt. Yeah. Like, there was no, oh, man, I put myself in a really dangerous situation. Like even the last thought before the before the accident, she like calls him a good driver because he like cut off that other guy and didn't get hit. And she's like, Yeah, I think he's a really good driver. And there's no interrogation of that. Like the book needs to interrogate that because a kid is not gonna know that she's wrong. Right. Well, it's a big jump from I'd like to thrill seek and learn how to surf. It's a big jump to I'm getting into a car with strangers in a in a state on the other side of the country from everything I know. And I, I mean, I'm not, that's not saying that I was some sort of perfect eighth grader. I made plenty of bad decisions. (laughs) Like, you know, certainly, but 
I didn't do that. No. And I really felt like this was, instead of being uh, a place to do some imaginative, like, what would I do? What would I do? I I feel like this would be something that, like, even, like, if I gave this to my 10-year-old, who I think she would be horrified. Like, it would just be, I mean, no, like, you know, not trying to make a joke or anything, but it would be like watching a car wreck, right? Like, she would just be like horrified watching right. these decisions pile up and pile up and pile up. I just couldn't. And then Stacy's behavior with Claudia, I was so oh. mad on Claudia's behalf. Like it's okay yeah. for me to think someone is cute and to not pursue that. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or to go on a date and then be like, not for me. I'm good. Or it is okay to have a guy think that you are cute and you not be interested. And that doesn't mean that you have to give him a shot. Stacy's whole, whole argument was he's clearly into her. So she better give him a chance. Why? What kind of fucking message is that? I also super thought that it had to do with, oh, they're both Asian. One million yeah. percent. And in my, in my notes, I said, weird. They're describing Terry, whose last name we did not know at the time, like they described Claudia. So I'm wondering if this is some weird, super subtle, not subtle, but like whatever for little kids, it might be super subtle, um, like racist stuff. And then when Claudia, I mean, when Stacey does that, I was like, you're doing that because it's the only Asian guy you've seen on vacation. And you're like, Claudia must fall in love with him on vacation because he's, he's a perfect Asian match. I was so mad. (laughs) Even worse. We've had the Asian boyfriend plotline for Claudia before. The last time that she fell in love with a boy in a super special, it, he it was it, he was Asian. And at least, at, honestly, that time we kind of praised it because of the way they did it was they bonded over the fact that they were the only Asian kids at this camp. They talked about their their cultural heritage. They shared like it was about that. This is just fucking racist. Mm-hmm. Like I, I literally, it's so funny. I was just telling Kate I. Just started the uh, this season that just started of Love Island UK. So, you know, it, it's my um, my one reality TV trash show. Not that there's anything wrong with any reality TV trash shows, but this one's my guilty pleasure. Um, not fuck guilty. It's just my pleasure. The point is, this year the um they they usually get to like pick their like starting matches, but this year they they spiced it up and they had the public vote. And wouldn't you know, all four of the black people coupled coupled. And I'm like, that's not even fucking subtle, people. That's just racist. These people have nothing in common. Like, the two couples were like, the one couple was like looking at each other like, we don't even, like, have anything in common. It was fucking because they were both black. Like, that's just, to see that that is still happening. And the thing is, I guarantee you about 85% of the people voting that way never interrogated it, never thought about it, never crossed their mind because of shit like this that was just it made it the norm right. and that was just infuriating when I, I i was guessing the whole time that he was asian and then when he gave his name at the restaurant i was like fuck i did not want to be right i did not want to yep. be right exactly <sighs> it was gross i was really disappointed and i was disappointed that it was that this was Anel martin doing this it wasn't mm-hmm. oh we can blame it on a ghostwriter i was like oh no it's you the like founder and president <laughs> yeah <laughs> There's some it, it it is not good with race in, in in a way that is often not just not good at engaging with it, but actively bad at, at, in times. And um, but they in, also in really... feels it feels like they are also, though, trying to, like, pat themselves on the back for like, mm-hmm. oh, look, we, you know, like we acknowledge that Jesse is black and we acknowledge that Claudia is Japanese-American. Like, 
they, they, I feel like they think they that they're doing place. like the right thing. And obviously they're not, <laughs> you know, whether it's this specific storyline or the way that they talk about race generally across all of these books, because we've gotten into it in many of our conversations. It's like, I, I feel like 80s, 90s, Scholastic, Walden, whoever, Anna Martin, they were like, look what a good job we're doing. Mm-hmm. And even at the time, they weren't doing a good job. And now, like looking back with everything we now know as adults, like, holy shit, I can't believe I was reading these books when I was a kid. And like, like you were saying, Lauren, like, this is like the, how we like, how our society is the way that it is, because you have things like this, where it's like, subtle, like messaging, like, Asian people should be together, you know? And it's like, what? (laughs) No. It's especially infuriating, because she does have non-Asian love interests back in Stony Brook, Mm -hmm. because there are no other Asian people in Stony Brook. Or it seems like there's Jesse's family that's black and uh, Claudia's family that's Japanese. And that's pretty much the extent of anyone who's not white and waspy. But we never see, even when she talks about having a crush on a boy back home, even when they even like her back. We don't get this like romantic plot line. We don't see them on dates. They like all the stuff with Trevor Sanborn was very like she was talking about him and they went to the dance, but we didn't see them interact romantically at all. You don't act it, it like as a it's talked about, not seen. The only time we ever see Claudia be in those romantic scenarios like we see with Marianne and Logan are these two books. And both times it's been an Asian love interest, which is just. Do you think that the book's or the authors or the, the franchise or whatever, can it can only handle like one point of intersectionality at a time? Like, because in this kind one, of. Claudia is like, the, you know, oh, I am smart. I'm just smart differently. I have, I'm talalented. And you were talking about how she's, you know, when you were on the island, uh, shipwrecked mm-hmm. that she, she was getting water and she's smart differently. You know, can we only handle, like, we can only handle sort of issues of, um, you know, uh, self-worth and confidence or, um, you know, sexism or misogyny or whatever, like there's that. And we cannot do that in an intersectional way, right? Like we have poor Mallory, we can only do Mm -hmm. the economics, right? We can only, and this one, you know, or rather in other ones, you know, maybe we can have a moment where we're talking about um, Claudia's, uh, you know, being Japanese American in the, the whitest place on the planet like mm-hmm. we just it's just not possible for the structure of the of the stories or whatever to hold a, a space of intersectionality because for real this should be we should have at least had there's there were opportunities in this to have all of these characters talk about uh you know like race gender and and economics in a way that like could have been really powerful and i know this is the right. 90s but like you can you can acknowledge those things without saying we're going to talk about gender, like, or we're mm-hmm. going to talk about class. Like, we could you can talk about those things in like just a, not one sentence would have made me feel better about this, right? You know, you know what? Like uh, one of the things around the uh, the economics of it that really stood out to me is how they were just like, oh yeah, just invite all these people to come with us to Universal Studios. That's an expensive fucking ticket. And there was no consideration of like, who's going to pay for that? Are their parents going to like, so it like at least if there was even just one of the, if they were maybe, there was another kid who they were going to invite, Jeff's friend Rob, he's unimportant. He's not a major thing to the plot. If they would have just acknowledged, yeah, Rob's parents couldn't afford a ticket, so he's not able to come with us today. That would have at least just they're allowed to be rich we know that they're in a rich fancy neighborhood that's fine Mm -hmm. if 
they, you just need to acknowledge that other people have different experiences. And like the Claudia and um, the book smarts thing, like that's th talk about a perfect opportunity to talk about Asian stereotyping. Like they could have bonded over the fact that, that, um, that people always assume that you're, she's a genius because not only is her sister a genius, but oh, that's an Asian stereotype mm -hmm. as well. And they have never touched that, not even no. a little bit. Even the fact that Janine is the Asian stereotype, that model minority, like, that that's never discussed. And I I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and and say that it's that the, there's not space. But honestly, I think my take on it is they don't think the kids have space for it. Or worse, I don't know that these are even things that are crossing anybody's mind. I I assumed it was so such in such a place of white white heterosexual cishet privilege that there was just and the best that we were going to get is an acknowledgement occasionally of some like sexist stuff, right? Yep. And Anne is queer, but she's openly queer now. She was not openly queer when she was writing these books, and I, I don't know. We we've talked many times. We don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but we can. There are certainly subtle, you know queer hints throughout the book but it, they are definitely subtle that is not something that is brought to the table at all and that we you have to know that she what those things she was was thinking about and so that i think is more i don't know how much of it was Anne and how much of it was scholastic because mm -hmm. i think it was scholastic who was was putting these out at the time and they were i mean this was the cornerstone of the school book fair yeah. you know so i'm wondering how much of that was scholastic not wanting to ruffle feathers because without the middle America market, it's so, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's right, but what I'm just saying that, like, I think that that might be a big part of it is, hey, we don't want to make these rich parents who are sending their kids with $20 to the book fair, you know, feel bad about, <laughs> we don't want their kids coming home and feel like, why can I afford this? And my neighbor, you know, and like, no, that should be the conversation right. you're having. But anyway. I don't know. It it sucks. It sucks is what it does because there's so much opportunity here. And that's it sucks even more because that's what the Netflix show is doing. Mm -hmm. And to have that taken away, it's ugh, so frustrating. That is my whole family was very frustrated about it because we felt like that the, the, the show um, was really doing an excellent job of um, contextualizing some of these conversations that people who are afraid of having these conversations, um, it would be um, excellent examples for them on how, you know, like I, I work with kids. So like to, for a kid to tell you who they are in whatever way that is. And if you just say, okay, great, that's who you are. And they tell each other, like I have four kids who have friends who are trans and who, you know, who are different in other ways, you know, and like, they just tell each other and the kids are like, yeah, okay, cool. I like dinosaurs also. So let's go do some stuff. Like mm -hmm. it, it is not something that has to stop everything because it, it's only a fraction of who a person is, right? Like your gender or your, or your race or whatever is internally, like no matter, I mean, other, you know, culture puts things on you, social, you know, experiences put things on you. Um, but there, it's just a fraction of who I am that I'm a, a cis het woman, right? Like that's, that's just, I'm also other things, right? I'm a librarian. I'm a mom. I'm all these other things, right? And so I can have a conversation um, and tell you who I am in whatever capacity I do that. And we can be like, cool, let's go do this other thing, right? And I really felt like the the show was doing that in such a, like a natural way that the, the way that the kids just talk to each other and the way that mm -hmm. kids experience difference um, in, a, in environments where they're supported to uh, uh, in accepting 
that like if there's not yes. some adult being like you can't accept somebody who is such and such and such and such if that doesn't exist in a kid's life they're like cool you you know you were a girl now you're a boy great let's go on the monkey bars like it's not <laughs> it's not a thing that has to stop yep. everything and that show like I said, I felt like it does it did such a great job or does such a great job and the episodes that exist having those kinds of conversations and mm-hmm. making it be part of life, not a big deal. Like, and, and when it is a big deal, we can, you know, it, it, we, it's a good example of how to, you know, it. yeah. And how to like yeah. pull the, pull the, the like terror or fear or, or whatever mm-hmm. out of it so that it's just, Hey, it's just information about a person. Like they're from, you know, Tennessee. Great. Great. Let's right. move on. Like, and so it's just disappointing to me that, that that's not something that's going to be able to, to go further in, in other conversations and other subjects in a way that it really felt validating for my, for my kids to have those kinds of conversations and those kind like with me, like we watched it together. So we talked about everything that we saw, you know? And so it oh, was so cool. It was just, um, and, it, and in that way, it's not anything personal either. That's, that's mm-hmm. another really, uh, you know, children's literature, YA literature in general, you can talk about um, subjects that come up in the book, even if it's something that you you are personally struggling with, whether it's gender or whatever, you know, and and have a conversation with people in your life about this book, this thing yep. that's distant and not me. Mm-hmm. And it's a safe way to have to approach some of these conversations. And, you know, it allows a teenager or, or you know, middle schooler to have a conversation with the adults in their life and find out how how a conversation where they would be vulnerable and reveal information about themselves might go, but it's safe because you're, you're doing it. This is not me. This is Claudia, right? This is, (laughs) I'm not Claudia. This is Claudia. Right. And so you're having um, the the opportunity to sort of explore what that reality might be for you. Should you, should you reveal, you know, your kind of innermost self to somebody be vulnerable and authentic in that way. Um, And that's, I think that the, there is now a, um, a real, that was a real, it's a real loss for kids yeah. who would be able to sit and have those experiences with adults in their lives by just watching that show and have those conversations. So it makes me that, it makes me sad. I'm really hopeful that they, they can start to maybe carry over some of that legacy into the graphic novels, you know, to start, I, like I said, I'm, I can't speak to how close they are, but the, the definitely the first one, which is the only one that I've really been able to dig into in, in any kind of depth was just very much followed the the plot which you kind of need to you need to to establish that but i'm 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 hopeful that they're going to get some space with the graphic novels to bring in some of those things to change to modern to modernize to to talk to kids where they are today because they are a hell of a lot farther along mm-hmm. than we were in the 90s and that's great and boy man Lynn, did that just really that struck me because i that's what i would do when i was growing up and now granted i didn't i, I didn't get the response that i i really wanted to get but it was a safe way for me to have those conversations, even though it was even better because I got didn't get the response that I was hoping for because I was able to back away and I was able to protect myself from that that hurt and that pain. And, and wow, that is, um, I hadn't really thought about that in that way before. And that is really, really special. That is, what a gift that is for, for kids. I mean, just literature in general, but especially these books. And, and at least I, I really do. As much as we get frustrated, and it's, I think it's good that we have these conversations, we say all the time, it was 1990 when they were being written. We get to think about who is in power. So even though, like we said, Anne was the author, but this was clearly, by this point, we're talking ghostwriters. This is a massive money-making machine. Right. Yeah, they're, they're, they're churning out literally one of these a month. This is no longer, like, 
her telling this story that she's passionate about. It is a money-making endeavor and what is going to make the most money and applying, and especially at that time. So like really trying to remember the lens with which it's written from. And I know how, I, I mean, obviously, you know, as a, as a literary academic, you know how hard that is. I remember from my college lit classes being like, I don't want to read it on their fucking level. They're assholes. And they're like, it's 1865. And I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> Irrelevant. <laughs> so, you know, really, I try to remind myself of that. But I think it's also one of the greatest things about the book is, is that they do lend us to have these conversations now, that it's still relevant enough. It it was so good for what it was that it's we're able to have these conversations now, 30 years later, and say, you know, the germs of it were there. The, the pieces of it were there, and we're carrying that ball down the line. And I'm so hopeful that the show and the graphic novels are are indicators that that is that work is going to continue and i hope 30 years from now there's another three ladies sitting around in front of maybe a hologram you know <laughs> talking about the things that we're talking about now and be like be like can you believe they missed the x y and z and then that that you know can you believe that they thought this this and this and uh that just makes me again going back to that go grabbing onto whatever hope i can at the at the moment and that that's it for me that's the heart of why um, ultimately the book banning efforts, as you know, I have been fighting mm -hmm. the fight. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> the reason that um, taking texts out of schools that um, explore kind of these sort of sorts of topics, gender and race and all of that stuff are so important because it's not, it's not just about, um, we've been talking about this in terms of like mirrors, right? Um, reflecting back to us what we think maybe mm -hmm. our experience is, but it's really, really important not to discount the window. Mm -hmm. And empathy, every, every empathy. time you read a story about somebody else, that's different than you, you walk that imaginatively, right? And you're in that, that same path. And so uh, there's all of this talk, you know, in, in, you know, the world about, you know, we don't want white kids to feel badly about themselves because they read these stories about um, black kids experiences and no real life kids that I have talked to have had that. That's not their reaction. Mm -hmm. Their reaction is I didn't know. I, I didn't what? know what that was. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's the same. It's the same with gender stuff. Like the straight kids are like, I didn't know. And it's like, now I know the, the window is it, I think more important. I think it's important to see yourself, right? It's important to see yourself represented. And, and I, but I think on some level, when we're talking about um, large, large cultural um, consumption or, or experience of, of, of stories, that the window is what is what changes things. It's not the mirror mm -hmm. so much. It's the window that does the big cultural changes. And so, um, you know, I wonder in this context, like for me, when I was, I remember, I remember reading it being like, Stony Brook, they're rich. Like, like mm -hmm. that was the window I was getting. And, and like, I, I wonder in the, as it goes on or, you know, as the, the kind of evolution of the story through the, the, the um, maybe future, um, you know, uh, series or, or, or the graphic novels as they go, does the window change in a mm -hmm. way that becomes, um, that, that becomes then the stories become a vehicle for, for seeing more experiences, right. That are maybe yeah. not as, um, visible in, in the print series that we all had when, when we were young. So, well, I think it's important to, to point out though, that that window is really important for people like us and for Pete, for the, 
the maybe who these were aimed at or who they th- were thinking was their broad base uh, when these were printed in the first place. Basically, white middle America who ha- who have that very narrow window. And I think the power of the mirror is, I mean, for everybody, but I think it's especially important for those underrepresented people, for the little Asian kids that are seeing Claudia and having that experience, for, you know, uh, the queer kids who are now seeing heroines that look like them, he- heroes that look like them, getting romantic storylines. I mean, there was just that YA show that was on Netflix, Heartstopper, that so cute. And like, the, that that is something that did not exist when I was a kid. And like, now they're even we're starting to even work in like body image ways that people are able to see you're having. Have you read Starfish yet? No, no, but I've heard about it. So very powerful when it comes to body image. It's really, really powerful. And it's the same age. It's this like, middle school, sixth, seventh, eighth. Oh, good. It's on the list. Yeah, I could go. We, I could talk about that ad nauseum, but I don't really have any other big ideas. Like that kind of kind of was it. Is that it was all it was fun, but shallow was kind of my overall takeaway from from the book. That's funny because I think that that's like um, a very '90s perception of California itself. <laughs> Super fun, but real shallow. <laughs> real shallow. <laughs> well, and that's the I, that kind of touches on. I think I can't remember which book we talked about it in, but like California is a huge state that has. Basically every kind of climate, every type of person, but Cal- like California girl is like a very specific thing. And like California generally, like that's what you think of. And it's just like, it's just funny because we're all like, yep, that's California. And, but it's like, <laughs> there's so much no, more to California. Not. Like, it's just hilarious because we all, we all have that same idea of like, California is like this and it's just. And it is kind it's of a character in this book, right? Like that's the only thing that kind of ties everything together is the California the idea of California, but it's so yeah. small. The California in this is like the like, you know, 10 square mile area right there that they're in, right? Right. All we see of California are malls. By the way, we see like four distinct different malls, if you want to place this in time, in the 90s. And that was like, they're big. They're like, we don't have a mall like that back in Connecticut. So malls and then tourist traps. Yep. So like amusement parks and the beach like you don't see any of california at all you see marianne tried she was like let's go to the tar pits i've got this museum and that museum i was like girl i wish you would go on my trip so that you would me too and i could just go like i could not think about it marianne's our tour guide i was super stoked about all of that yep oh my god i would sign up for that that i know i am now envisioning a new future for marianne where she runs a travel guide place and she just curates incredible trips as the tour guide person and her whole experience of the um extras in this book were like my favorite part of my favorite because she her on the beach with her like she had um like the 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 hat and she her caftan and Mm -hmm. she was like i was like uh i could get into that as a 40 something grown-ass woman and that is the kind of beach life i am interested in (laughs) she's my favorite yep 100%. There is one like random thing that as I was reading, I like wrote down a line that Mallory said and I was like, this is why I hate Mallory or why I hated Mallory (laughs) as a kid because I identified with this statement so, so much. So she says, I think she's talking, I can't, I didn't write down who she was talking about. I think she was talking about Claudia, but she said, plus she's beautiful. She doesn't have to worry about her looks. And like, that was me as a child. And I, I think yeah. that's why, and we've talked about this, like we both, I see ourselves in Mallory so much now, like looking back, that's why 
Mallory's our least favorite babysitter, except we've come to realize, like, Mallory's kind of awesome. But, like, when I read that, I was just like, oh, that's why I didn't like you, because I would totally have said that. I'm sure I said that about girls that I knew uh, when I was young. So, like, just just had to throw that out there. <laughs> well, that explains why Mallory's um, sort of plot line was so looks-focused, mm-hmm. too. Like, if mm-hmm. that's a character oh, yeah. trait that she is sort of carrying over yes. from book to book. Yeah, that explains why her weakness and her sort of lesson, if there is one, is maybe less about the money, because it kind of sort of seemed like it was about the money at the end. But really, it's ultimately about about her the looks. Yeah, the look. That's interesting. That is interesting because we were, you know, joking about the lack of consistency. But for the most part, everybody's plot lines, while not consistent and necessarily in a plot direction, they are pretty consistent with their overall like character traits mm-hmm. like Mary uh, Marianne being like overly worried uh, about the sensitive child Christy being overly bossy and controlling of the club Claudia being focused on a boy and insecure about her intellect Stacy being Stacy <laughs> and you know but Mallory this is this is quintessential Mallory yeah. and actually uh, Kate she's talking to Jesse and I only know because that line Literally, me. I had to put down the book for a second because I, I had a visceral like remembering me at eleven mm-hmm. and having that exact moment that you described, just like breaking my heart. Yep. And it was, and, and you're exactly right. That's why I literally wrote down for Mallory's. I just sort of summarized like one word, what do I, or two words for each you know plot line, just to organize my thoughts. Um, Mallory's wrote, I went good, but ouchy, <laughs> and and that was really uh, because I I so felt myself at that mm-hmm. age. In, in in every bit of that. And I used to have this fantasy that I would go away for the summer and I would come back as this like completely different, beautiful version of myself yep. that something, somehow something magical would happen. And like, that's exactly what Mallory is trying to make happen. But you're right, Lynn, it, they do focus more on the financial aspect at the end. I wish they would have landed that particular plane about her looks a little bit. Because I didn't understand well, it in that way. But yeah, in the context think, of this conversation, I see that oh, that this would this is uh, um, related to her like core character development, right? And yeah. um, so and so Dawn's then I always remember Dawn as being like um, much more sort of empathetic and connected to to people. And so this is shocking to me that if we're carrying character traits over, that she's so strangely shut off about Carol, <laughs> like. Maybe that's just the divorced kid like reaction, but she's she's I feel like I remember her being more um more astute about people's sort of inner spiritual kind of you know, she's kind of woo-woo, right? Yeah. California woo-woo as she looks uh, compared to them in, in Stony Brook, you know, mm-hmm. and as she cares about, you know, like kind of larger cultural things and like I don't know, it just seemed that that seems like a a, a disconnect where She's not being like realizing what's going on with her dad at all or her or Carol. So we've noticed and Kate, you can um, sort of fill in the details or back me up on this a little bit. But one of the things that we've sort of talked about, but haven't super articulated is that she really swings back and forth Mm -hmm. in a wild way where she goes from being like super empathetic and like a really great friend to being a real asshole. Like there's there's a. There's a book where it's the first book where she and Marianne move in together, where she full on like creates this massive horror inducing moment for Marianne and then full on gaslights her and tells her that she's crazy. It didn't happen. And th- that's the resolution to the story. Like there's no she doesn't get in trouble for that. That like 
I don't remember exactly how that resolves it, but it it does. And because the issue is that they, when they move in, they decide since they're best friends and now they're sisters, they're going to share a room. And Don hates it. Marianne hates it too, but neither one of them is willing to like have the conversation and be like, this isn't working. I still love you. We're still best friends. I just think we both need our own space. And so Don essentially like, makes Marianne think that their house is haunted. And she, like, mm-hmm. comes out of... Because there's the secret passage into Dawn's room. So Marianne's, like, in there studying, and she, like, goes in. Marianne leaves, and she, like, goes in and leaves, like, an old locket or something on her... Bones. It was, like, yeah, bones. Yeah, it was, it was, like, creepy. And I think she did it multiple things. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Marianne would come back and see it and freak out. And then she would leave, and then Dawn would come and take it, whatever she left in the room. And so Marianne thinks that... Something is happening. You know, she is experiencing something that she cannot explain. She's completely freaked out and terrified by it. And then Dawn is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, maybe maybe we should not be in the same room. And then later, someone else is narrating. Neither of them is narrating this book. But they're like, oh, yeah, Marianne and Dawn used to share a room. and But it didn't work out. Now they have their own spaces. And, like, no mention of the fact that, like, Dawn straight up, like, terrorized her and then made her think that she was going crazy. Yeah, it was to get her out of the room. That's right. She so Marianne's resolution was, well, I don't, I can't be in this room anymore. And then when she moved to the new room, they realized, oh, actually, this is better for our relationship if we're in different rooms. And so, basically, Don learned the lesson: good, <laughs> like, do what it takes. Yeah, to get whatever her out. it takes. Because it, yeah, manipulate the situation until you get what you want. So it's kind of wild. She swings like. So is she just a tool? Rather than a full character, she's like a plot, a plot element that instigates um, change in the other sort of core characters. Not always. No. Yeah, I she definitely know. has her own character. I guess the thing with like Carol, I think, is kind of like interesting. Can like compare and contrast to like Richard and Sharon because like she's so supportive of Richard and Sharon getting together and getting married. And it's like, is it because you live with your mom and Richard is your best friend's dad? Is it because you helped sort of get them to meet each other again, that you had like an integral role and Carol is just sort of this like outsider? Is it because you're hearing mostly from Jeff and Jeff doesn't get along with her for whatever reason? Like there, it just, yeah, I, to me, it didn't, I didn't feel like it made sense. Like for, I agree with you. Like her personality is usually, even when she has those like asshole moments, she generally still like understands how to interact with people. And obviously she was able to know what would terrify Marianne the best, which Mm -hmm. is not a great like ringing endorsement (laughs) of her social skills, but she clearly knows people and can read people and is empathetic and like figures things out about people. So you'd think she would maybe give Carol a little bit of leeway and like maybe try to get to know her a little bit before just coming in and being like, I don't like Carol. Mm-mm. I think she's trying too hard. She's too young for my dad, which makes no sense. But that's I, one of my notes is she's 32. Like, how old is your dad? Yeah. Like, I don't understand why you're saying because that seems like perfect. she's not 22. Right. Well, because Christy's yeah. mom in the first book is like 37, 36. Yeah. 36, 37. 37. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, so even if even if Dawn's dad is, like, a little bit older, it's, like, they're, what, maybe 10 years apart? And it's not like she's 22 yeah. and he's 32. It's, like, she's 32. She's, like, a full-grown woman. Even if he's 45, 32 to 45 does not seem like – I mean, that's over 10 years, but that doesn't seem – I would not be like, oh, that's a grooming situation or somebody's being taken advantage of. Uh, there wasn't the implication that Carol was, like, the reason that the, her parents – 
got divorced either. No, like, they didn't so, even meet until after. Yeah, the, she's Dawn like and new Jeff in the already picture. Moved back to, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I would understand if you suspected like this is the she's the reason my parents got divorced. Even though I love Marianne's dad or whatever, but like there's not there's the level of animosity towards Carol was really surprising to me for a lot of different reasons. And I just wanted to make sure I didn't yeah. miss a clue that was dropped <laughs> that it was like Carol's like been around for X amount of years and mom and dad yeah. divorced for this amount. Oh no, Carol, I didn't see any of that happening. But No, it's more just when Dawn is pushed outside of her comfort zone for any reason, I think that that's what it is. That's sort mm-hmm. of the common denominator is when she's outside of her comfort zone, she gets really bitchy. And I I mean, that's relatable. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, but Dawn's, speaking of Dawn's family too, like Jeff, was my favorite weird side character right. for like no reason. Dead. No reason at all. Is he like nine? Like how old is yeah. he? Yeah, nine or ten. So he and his friend are just like around the edges of the story doing weird things. <laughs> just like fighting over who's the biggest deadhead in 1990. Like that even even um, one of the girls is like, who? Who's the Grateful Dead? Oh, speaking of who though. I have to tell you, Jesse and Mallory might have been like, who? But when he said, our special guest star today is Elaine Stritch, I was like, oh, yay! Yep. In my notes, I have like, Elaine Stritch exclamation point. That's it. That's yeah. the note. <laughs> That's it. I was like, ah, I love her. And I was like, oh, clearly I am not the target audience because, like, the joke is, they're like, who? Yep. <laughs> I just, yeah. Anyway, there were some hilarious little side character moments that just. That is one of the best things about these books is there's always that like peripheral stuff. Like even when there's the big frustrating things, there's always enough, especially there's enough weirdness. Mm-hmm. I, I think is what it is that just makes it, gives it that extra special something, something like those, the slang you had mentioned too. Like I think yes. my, my note yeah. is like what girls try. Yeah. Stop trying to make distant happen. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. I, although I think that's Anna Martin is trying to make distant happen. <laughs> That made me laugh so hard. Then I I remember thinking, well, is there a new word every time? And by the time it goes into the book, is it like, is it, well, I was like, because I'm like a nerd, I was like, is that real? Was that real slang for kids in California in the 90s? And also like, by the time it got into the book, was it no longer slang? And so it was not cool. (laughs) Or is this something that she's literally inventing and trying to make happen? Like all of that made me laugh really hard just thinking about all of the possibilities. Dibley Fresh is the one that has become sort of the like known like uh, babysitter's club slang but no that exists nowhere except for the babysitter's club yep. it was absolutely created for them the if you say that you will look like a crazy person except to the segment of the population <laughs> who grew up with these books and even then there's probably a large chunk of them who are like what the fuck are you talking yep. about and at least so dibley fresh well, dibley is nonsense but fresh at least is like roughly around slang of the day that makes sense stale i get that that means bad you know whatever distant why the fuck does distant mean cool what like i don't understand the correlation at all i again i was like i'm old now maybe and i was in tennessee <laughs> then like what would i have known about uh, i had a friend who lived lived with her grandparents who lived next door to us um when i was in fifth or sixth grade and she um, was in, I think she was in eighth grade and she uh, was from California. She was living with her grandparents because her parents were having some troubles. And then she went back to California and she sent me letters. And it was the first time I had read, I had, um, so I'm like, you know, like a sixth grade at the time. It's the first time I had ever heard the word hella. Um, and the first time I ever heard um, like 
any really any Spanish at all because I was so like white middle yeah. class Tennessee. And she talked about her cousin, her baby cousin, and she was the grandmother or the godmother rather. And she said, um, uh, she kept calling her my Nina, and and I was like, oh, okay. I don't, what if this is so exotic? Like, I don't under, I'm something, hella, what? And I just, anyway, yeah. so like, I was like, okay, there was slang in California that was different than slang that was in Tennessee. So maybe Anna Martin knew something I didn't know, but that did not. No, I'm con- not entirely convinced that Anna Martin stepped foot anywhere in California other than <laughs> Disneyland. Right? Or um, Universal's maybe, Universal, yeah. and the yeah. beach, and the beach, and the beach, and the mall, um, and the mall. Um, I, I had a couple other questions about some weird things that I didn't understand. One of my first notes was about um, the conversation on the plane. Everybody is really mean to Jesse, and they are like really talking down to her in a way. I, my note actually says I would murder everyone for talking down to me like they do to Jesse on the plane. Like they are so dismissive. And is there like backstory for that? Is there a reason that they're all so just like? No one wants to do that, Jesse. Stop talking, Jesse. Don't even breathe, Jesse. Like it's, just, <laughs> it's so mean to Jesse. They're always pretty dismissive of Jesse and Mallory. Like they, they but are very not much usually like that mean. mean you know, like they, they. It's more like they discount them a little bit, or like don't necessarily think as like focus on what they say. But they're not like. Like what the way they were talking to Jesse is not the way that they normally talk to Jesse and Mallory. It's like, yeah, it was very specific to this book, and yeah, it was sort of out of character. Like, yes, they they don't necessarily put as much weight in what Jesse or Mallory says, but they're not like mean to them. <laughs> like they're all best That's friends. True. Like they're all friends. Jesse and Mallory are the younger babysitters, right? Yeah, yeah, they're eleven. Yeah. So they're like sixth, seventh grade ish. Yeah. Okay. So they wouldn't be babe. They wouldn't actually be babysitting them. They're actual babysitters, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. They talk to them in ways that they wouldn't have even talk to the kids that they were babysitting ever. I, I was just really. Yeah. I was like, this yeah. book is starting off weird. <laughs> if this is how they're going to talk to each other this whole vacation, I'm not sure where we're going with this. <laughs> Well, when they joined the club, they, like, full-on hazed them, like, put them through their paces and gave them this, like, really intense, like, what to do with baby CPR. Mm-hmm. And uh, Claudia was like, Christy, I can't answer any of these questions. <laughs> and it was, like, super specific, like, really random, like, baby first aid stuff. Yeah. And they were like, I don't I don't know. And it was, like, numbers of things, like, like how much, yeah. like... Tylenol should you give a baby that has a fever or something like that and it was like you know and it was like if the if the child is like under six months and they weigh this many pounds and they're like I don't I would read the package I don't know (laughs) so it's not like it's it's definitely harsher than typical but it's not completely out of character that they would be more poo-pooing Jesse or Mallory suggestions apparently I was fixated on things that happened on the plane rides because I also am like what (laughs) WTF was the movie on the plane ride home. They were all talking about the movie on the plane ride home and describing it like yeah. I should know what that was. And I was like, I don't like it was really I was really disappointed that I could not figure out what that movie was because they were all going on about it in ways that like I should be able to be like, oh, that's obviously such and such movie. So I was yeah. hoping that maybe you guys knew what it was because I <laughs> No. Well, and the thing that's interesting is like on the flight there, the they specifically say the movie is Vertigo, which is a yes. really weird movie for a plane, but but they specifically so say like the movie is Vertigo, blah blah blah. We watched it or we didn't watch it or we talked about it. And, but then like yeah, on the way back they're just like talking about the movie, but not like and that, all they that keep saying is it's terrible. It's terrible. It's not 
an actual movie because yeah. they're they're pretty clear in most babysitters club books like they either reference something real or if they don't reference something real they've clearly like made it up for the plot for whatever but i really yeah, thought vertigo it, was going to go somewhere i was like are we going to have yeah. some kind of like thing that happens in california that right. is going to like they watched this and they were, but it didn't go i mean no there used to be a hitchcock thing at Universal Studios, at least the one in Florida, and they like did a whole segment about how they showed uh, or how they shot the fall. And it, I think it was from Vertigo mm-hmm. when Jimmy Stewart falls. So I thought that that's where they were going with it. Like they were going to tie it in and they were going to be like, oh, this is what we saw on the plane. So I was so excited for that. I was like, oh my God, I don't think that exists, that attraction exists anymore. We're going to, it's going to be all these fun memories. I did that with my grandpa when I was 10 and then nothing. I was like, well, all right, Chekhov's gun, Vertigo. Like, rude, <laughs> you didn't go off. Yeah, I really thought we were, I was like, what are they, what's going to, why is somebody going to have to fall? <gasps> you know, and I kind of <laughs> thought maybe that was somehow we were going to have that happen with Stacy in the car or whatever. I was like, <gasps> and then it didn't. Mallory did transform herself into a blonde to become <laughs> someone else. Like a kid is ever going to get that reference. Definitely not. Another thing from the plane, when they're ordering food on the way out to California, Don gets chicken. Like, vegetarian Don orders chicken on the plane. I don't understand. Yeah. That was clearly somebody was not reading right. very well. Right. There's like, that was a- everyone got, because it was like, everyone got the chicken except Claudia. And it's like, well, that means that Don had chicken. No. <laughs> I'm going to choose to believe that that Dawn is so Dawn that she either A, reached out to them ahead of time to say, or like, wait, right when they got it, I'm a vegetarian, I need the special meal, I need the allergen meal, or she brought her own, like, tofu sandwich and is, like, True. turning her nose up at the, like, both of those would be very on uh, in character for Dawn. For so. sure. That's my headcanon. I like it. Was there any good fashion? I, I can't even, I don't even really remember, other than, because I do... Marianne on the beach. beach. I mean, there's just like a couple descriptions from the very beginning of Claudia and Stacey and then Claudia's dress up outfit for her date with Terry when she when she doesn't dress like herself. So I'll I'll do that one because the other ones are pretty straightforward. So, okay, so this is Claudia in Chapter 12. Um, For one thing, despite what Dawn said about being myself, I hadn't dressed like myself at all. Ordinarily, I would have worn some wild combination of pants and high top sneakers and large jewelry. But for this evening, I had borrowed a very tame dress from Dawn. I think it might have been a Laura Ashley dress. It was simple. A small flowered print with half sleeves, a regular old waistline, and a nice lace collar. Then I borrowed a pair of flat pink shoes for Marianne. I looked like a nine-year-old or maybe a grandmother. (laughs) I can see that outfit. I wore that outfit. The lace collar is giving me like, I once had a jumpsuit, a printed long-sleeved jumpsuit (laughs) that was like a a black with a floral print and it had a lace collar with the points and it was, oh, I loved that. That was my, the height of fashion about this time. It was like 91. Yeah. Oof. Uh, Thankfully, I discovered <laughs> discovered Nirvana very soon after. Right, you're like, my grunge and phase. I'm done with this. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Never again. Yeah, I was looking for some fashion stuff in there because I know that you guys usually talk about that. And I was like, this seems very, like, not. I thought California, like, they're going to be like. Right. But they, yeah. they didn't. That seems like that would have been a good a good way to go. And they didn't. They didn't follow it. The last time that Dawn went out to California, she made a big deal about her plane, uh, her plane outfit, mm-hmm. and we had a whole conversation about like, remember when we used to do like care what you wore on a plane? Right. And I'm like, I-, I think last time I got st- well, just this past weekend I got stuck in Toronto, and so like getting dressed for the plane the next day, I was like, I don't know, whatever I have in my bag that doesn't smell, I don't care. <laughs> 
Well, speaking of done check, I think we may have talked this book to death. Any other final thoughts before we uh, wrap things up? Only the fact that um, Terry, Claudia's date, loves Woody Allen. So yikes. Oh, yeah, that was <laughs> that was my yeah. last note, too. Yeah. Well, Terry loves Woody Allen. Yuck. That's what I wrote. <laughs> yep. Yep. I was like, I did the same thing. And I was like, again, reminding where we are in time. At ni- in 1990, I would have been very impressed with a boy who loved Woody Allen. That would have been, that would have very much gotten me. I think he, Terry should be dead to you, Claudia. Never speak to him again. <laughs> Never speak to him again. Any pretentious douchebag that takes you to a French restaurant at 13 with a, everything's in French, like, nope, pass. Well, and also going to like an Italian art film with subtitles, like, mm. you have to like know a person pretty well to know that that's something they would want to do on a date, you know, like... I don't care how much you that's like it. That's not an immediate like, assumption. Right. Exa- like, yeah. that's not a thing that you do, as, especially as, like, a first date. You know? Like, what? you don't even, you barely know this girl. At 13. Right. At 13. <laughs> that wouldn't be a good first date at 38. At 13, I'd be like, what? What? Or, like, there could have been an opportunity for you to, like, have fun with it. Yeah. Right? Like, to be like, this Make restaurant, yeah, this restaurant's all in French, and I know some French, so let's see what we can figure out together. And, right. like, there could have been, like, a sweet hilarious this is the fanciest place in town i've always wanted to go i don't understand what's happening at all it could have been hilarious and awkward right. and adorable and instead it was pretentious and shitty yeah. <laughs> and the thing is I, I love that she got to the right place but i wish that they had had a moment together to get to that place where terry also was like no i was trying to impress you right. i don't really like any of these things either and then they both learned to relax yeah it yeah. would have been really really cute it would have it would have saved that plot line not saved the plot line but it would have redeem that plot line a little bit oh man we could i literally i could talk about this book for the next like year there is so much (laughs) i loved it i really just had the best time reading it even at the parts where i was like are you fucking kidding me yeah like even that was it was like fun are you fucking kidding me as opposed to poor mallory which had a lot of (laughs) not so fun no spoiler alert the um sensitivity and nuance with which they brought to mallory's potential financial problems was pretty non-existent yeah it was yeah. it was yeah well you, what, what, what more could you expect from stony brook <laughs> right they they tried that's kind of where we landed yeah is they, they at least acknowledged it yeah i don't know if that's better or worse. right well and like we said we we've throughout the series up until now we've always been like it would be great to see someone who's not wealthy and white for the most part and yeah. then we get this story and we're like uh maybe we don't want to get what Careful we wish, what for. wish for yeah like uh, yeah. I, they, <laughs> conceptually good job for actually doing it guys but it, the actual results was not <laughs> not what we were looking for in subtlety or nuance or storytelling or, or maybe even like basic understanding and empathy right, <laughs> right. Yeah, no. it, none of the it, above it just <laughs> and it's just like so very easily resolved. They went from like, oh my god, we're going to be destitute to never mind, everything's good. Yep. In like, in a couple the turn of weeks, of a he's like, oh, I have yeah. a new job, everything's fine. Yay! I mean, he was literally out of work for like a month, and they treated it like, oh my god, we're gonna die. And then it was like, no, we're fine. It's all good. Are they gonna ever get to a global pandemic kind of situation? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> How does Stony handle look a, a pandemic like? We did that, actually, what the very first, like, when we first got into quarantine, we did, like, a special series of episodes where we, like, talked about what we thought each of the girls would be doing in quarantine, both as 13-year-olds then, and if, like, as the adults they would be now. It was fun. 
I don't remember. We came up with some good stuff. Yeah. I feel like we landed on some, but it's been a while. That'd yeah. be fun to go back and revisit. Yeah. Well, well, now that the global pandemic is over. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now that everything's back to normal. Yeah. And we don't have to think about that at all. Ever again. Because we all sure live in Stony Brook, too. Yeah. When it comes to pandemic stuff, we're all we're all Stony Brook, baby. <laughs> uh, oh, my goodness. All right. Well, any other final club business before we wrap up? Well, we do. We need to do predictions for, for next oh, week. Oh, right. So our next book is Claudia and the Middle School Mystery. And I am not going to lie to you. It is a mystery to me what that mystery is. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I have literally no recollection of this one. I didn't even remember it was a book. Like, you know, at least with, you know, going back to before our super special, like I, I knew of poor Mallory and the plot line there. Like this one. I, I didn't even know it was a book. So yeah, even the other plot lines that I didn't remember, I at least remember the title. Yeah. A lot of times, it, at the very least, the cover sparks something. Mm-hmm. I got nothing. Yeah, I have no idea. So that's going to be fun. We're going to go in completely blind. It's a bit, It's been a hot minute since both of us have been 100% blind. Mm-hmm. Has that ever happened, actually? I don't know if it has. I think this might be the first time. Ooh. I feel like well, we this know is that's going to be happening more and more. Exactly. Turning point. And I feel like this is a good opportunity for us to both, you know, swing for the fences again on <laughs> what our predictions might be. See how how close like or it. completely wrong we might be. <laughs> okay, let's go. So the middle school mystery is that middle schoolers start disappearing. And <laughs> it is up to Claudia to find out which of the teachers is luring them to their deaths. <laughs> I mean, I got, I got that. I had to swing. I had to take the swing. Okay. My middle school mystery is Claudia one day during lunchtime goes through a door into a classroom that she's never seen before and finds Mm. herself in an alternate version of Stony Brook where (laughs) the there's only one Halloween. There's only one spring fling <laughs> dance. You actually age past 13. You, you get older than 13. She doesn't understand what's happening. She's very confused. She doesn't like it. She doesn't know what's happened. And that's what the mystery is. And then she eventually, after meeting her other, you know, doppelganger herself in that universe, realizes that her Stony Brook is the one she belongs in. And she finds her way back through that classroom. And the mystery is why she never finds that door again. Okay, be honest. How many times have you watched the new season of Russian Doll since it came out? I haven't watched Russian (laughs) Doll yet, so I don't know um, if that ties into it. I'm going to be very interested to see. It was more just the timeline and the existential and the doppelganger thing. Like, that's what I was thinking of. Like, it was more the first season. I will not say anything at all about the second season then. (laughs) I will make one last prediction, just in case on the very, very slight off chance that both of us are wrong, <laughs> which couldn't possibly be true. I will say that the only other thing it could possibly be is that the Babysitter's Club has decided it is time to discover just exactly what is the mystery meat in their <laughs> high school, in their middle school cafeteria. I like it. I like it. I think my my slightly more realistic additional prediction is figuring out the mystery of where Sam Thomas comes up with all of his prank (laughs) ideas and discovering that it is an old school like joke book and he's not as creative as they all think. I like that. (laughs) Taking Sam down a peg. I man, poor Sam. (laughs) 
You had it coming. Can't help myself. I gotta gotta try to take him down. <laughs> so cannot wait till next week and we get to find out how let's be honest, inaccurate those <laughs> predictions were. <laughs> I can't wait to read and find out just how wrong we were. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, well, anything with mystery in the title, you know, we're we're there for, which we're yeah. not far off Mysteries from are the always mystery good. series. Yep. We're getting closer to mystery. Okay. So now, any other Final Club business? <laughs> well, why don't you just let everybody know where to find us and find Dr. Lynn? <laughs> yes. Well, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Generation BSC, or if you have many thoughts to share with us, you can email us at generationbsc at gmail.com. And Dr. Lynn, where would you like people to find you on the internet? Oh, man. I try <laughs> on the internet. I try not to be. Or the real world, if you want people just tracking you down. You yeah, can, so I was going to say, if you want to come see me at my library, I'm um, the, the uh, teen librarian at the downtown branch of the Chattanooga Public Library. So I'd love to, I'd love to show you where my Babysitter's Club books are. <laughs> Oh, that's so fun. Well, next time I am anywhere near you, I am definitely taking a child, borrowing a child and coming <laughs> to see you. <laughs> you can stop by the child library at Lynn's house and go to the real library with your borrowed child. <laughs> check out check out one of Lynn's kids to take to the library. They all like vaguely know who I am. They see me at Thanksgiving every couple of years. Like... <laughs> And they trust me. If I'm like, this is your cousin, they'll be like, oh, we have a, okay. so many. That's, mom said it's fine. Yeah. There's so many cousins. So they're just like, oh, yeah. We just take their word for it. Although this is feeling dangerously like the Stacy situation. where I'm just like randomly yeah, coming exactly. to pick up small children and like no one's questioning it. And they're just like, sure. No, no problem. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, <laughs> I'm Kate Blasnick. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to